Oh, hey, thanks so much for joining me on the Cocti podcast today. I really appreciate it. My name is Gary. I'm the host of The Quest for the Cure and the editor here at fortnerd.com. The big news today is that on May 18th, 2021, we're getting a new source book, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It will take heroes not just to Barovia, but to 30 domains of dread to inspire to inspire nightmares in your players. Each domain of dread will include its own unique dark lord. The book will also include tools to create your own horrific stories, and it will also have a ready-to-play adventure. It sounds like there's going to be a lot of new content in this book. But as is the way of 5th edition, there's a little bit for everyone. We're going to see the lineages that were released in Unearthed Arcana, the Dampier, Reborn, and Hexblood appear officially in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It also introduces two new subclasses, the Collet of Spirits and the Undead Pact for Warlocks. It'll include some new backgrounds and trinkets as well. In case you aren't familiar with the origins of the character of Van Richten, he was central to many Ravenloft stories in previous editions. He served as a guide or a tutor for those looking to understand the horrors of the setting. For example, in Forgotten Realms, we have Volo's Guide to Monsters in 5th edition, and in 2nd edition, we had Van Richten's Guide to Ghosts, Van Richten's Guide to the Created, and so on. The lore elements of this book look likely to be in the form of correspondence between Van Richten and some of the other famous monster hunters from the Ravenloft setting, such as Esmeralda and others. It will come in two cover versions, and the alternate art cover, as always, will only be available in game stores. As I mentioned off the top, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft releases on May 18th, 2021. On February 28th, it's Rare Disease Day, and we're raising money for Jesse's journey and Duchenne muscular dystrophy research in another episode of Quest for the Cure. Except it's not episode 4, it's episode 0. It's a prequel episode. Join Rachel Seeley, Velvet Valhalla, Anthony from Talon and Claw, Feliza Cassano from Cyberpunk Independence, Tennessee Martin from D&D Celebration, and Hope Lavelle from Silver and Steel, as they get clues into the origins of the mysteries being revealed in the quest for the cure. The episode is going to play, as always, on the Team Squad Up Twitch page. Please like and share, and let everybody you know. We'd really like to get a good turnout. As always, I will include a link to the Twitch page in the show notes. My guest today is Gil the Vlogsmith, and... For the first time, I need a content warning. There is a bit of swearing to come, so if you are sensitive to that or a person of younger age, uh, please do be warned that there is some coarse language to follow. Gil the Vlogsmith is my guest today. He's a D&D player, a tabletop RPGer, a video gamer, and a full-time blacksmith. He makes all sorts of cool shit, including hand-forged dice. You've heard his name invoked on Critical Role when they say, don't fuck me, Gil. Yep, that Gil. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Gil the Vlogsmith. Hey, Gil, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank thank you so much for having me. So what was your first experience with Dungeons and Dragons? That that harkens way back to when I was around 12 or 13 years old. I was in high school and, or just like leading up into high school. And um, a friend of mine had the old uh, second edition book. 
we decided yeah. to dabble in it and you know initially it was all about the artwork right we were flipping the pages and going that's so cool that's really cool you know and you know it's the old school style uh of art so it wasn't anything that we have now which you know is mind-blowing but it still sparked our imaginations and we, we thought well can we create those scenarios is that a possibility and uh, sure enough you know um i had various uh, dungeon masters in my life eventually becoming one myself at uh, some point but we all you know, we traded hats basically we had mm-hmm. you know one guy was mostly our dedicated dm and he was great and, and every now and then you know someone's like I'll, I'll try dming for you know a little small campaign there we didn't really call it campaigns we just called it you know an adventure um we didn't really know that campaigns were a thing back then there were modules but we didn't yeah. um really stick to them we always liked uh, homebrew stuff it was always funnier you know and you know being a young uh, adult male oh, sorry a young male um uh pubescent male i'll say <laughs> yeah we you know we, we went off the rails as often they do you know with, with pee and poo jokes etc um but uh yeah it was around right around the age of like 12 or 13 and uh a lot of those uh the guys that i originally played with i either have moved away or you know um, lost contact with in mm-hmm. some form of another but um the current ones i do play with are you know uh, closer to home so right do you have any memories of that first Dungeons and Dragons game when you sort of opened up the books and you're like, wow, we get to roll some dice and, and fight some monsters? Yes. I I created a wizard, um, a level one wizard, and it had, I think, four, <laughs> four HP. That, yep. that was it. Yep. Four HP. And I had literally a dagger on me that if I were to stab myself with would kill me outright. It was just yep. literally four damage uh, dagger. Yeah. Um, I had, I think actually I had a bandolier of them because that was better damage in the very beginning than my magic missile. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if I just threw those daggers, I would actually have a better, you know, outcome uh, in the yeah. end. Um, but I remember that, that, you know, I wanted to go in there into the game again, second edition with a really cool character. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have some magic guys. You're the barbarian, you're the fighter, uh, you know, the rogue. I'm going to go guns blazing pew, 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 with, with uh, you know, magic and all that. And I found out that uh, that character was extremely hard to play. And it was one of the, after you, you know, after you have your entry level game, then mm-hmm. you might consider the wizard or you might consider one of the, the tougher um, characters right. to play. And um, I ended up dying multiple times. The Dungeon Master was very lenient because like, oh, this is your first game. I get it. And so, you know, I died once. I got revived magically because we all went back to town and they like had a finger of mine and they were able to reconstruct me from just that finger. Okay, yeah. Um, next time around, I got incinerated. So like, well, okay, well, now he's like, it's hard to reconstitute him from ashes, but there was a whole ritual they had to do. So they got, you know, they got um, like a large crystal from a temple and they went, you know, to get some um, like an elixir from a, a shaman out in the jungles. And, you know, it would, so much, <laughs> so much uh, ingredients went into this whole thing, again, to revive me, only to have me die literally the next fight after. So it was <laughs> like, well, Gil, you're not going to play that anymore, are you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. well, I really want to play it, but I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't really helpful, you know, uh, even though I had my spells, I was like, cool, spells, I'm done, guys. I literally now have to throw my daggers at the guy. Yeah. Oh, and then I, I found out that I could have a crossbow, and so I used that afterwards. Yeah. But Yeah. <laughs> Th- those those early spellcasters, man, they, there was not a lot of, 
uh, ability to do much once your spells got exhausted. The introduction of cantrips in 5e really made them so much better. Yes. So obviously the pandemic has limited our ability to get together face-to-face. Have you been able to continue gaming virtually? How's, How's your gaming been over the last year or so? So I haven't really played a 5e I know I lie. I, I I did one or two like mini one shots early on in the pandemic. I mm-hmm. think I did one um, with B. Dave Walters as the DM. We played a level twenty one shot. It was for charity. Okay. Uh, on the uh, Scraticus um, Twitch channel. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That was that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun anyway. Um, we killed a Tarasque. A Tarask, Sorry. Yep. 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 Yeah. Is it Tarask? Yeah. Yeah. Tarask. Yeah. <laughs> I always call. It, I used. To, that's the thing. I reading all those old books, I used to call everything, you know, by what, how I read it. So like Tarasque, and it's still stuck in my head, even though I know it's Tarasque, but yeah. anyway. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I had a few LARP online games. Okay. And so, you know, get the, all, because of LARP being shut down too, we like, we wanted to band together to create some form of environment where we could somewhat do that. Right. Um, it's not the same, to be honest, but I, 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 I participated in about uh, three online events. So we okay. had to make up rules. And honestly, the rules were pretty much Dungeons and Dragons. You know, like how would you go about having your character interact with an enemy? So yeah. you roll dice, you know. Um, it was virtual dice because we wanted to make sure that no one was cheating. So, you know, right. it was on Discord, et cetera. But, got it, got it. Um, that was okay. It was, you know, it, it helped a little bit. It didn't uh, satiate um, my need for both D and D and or LARP. Right. And I, I, it's it's been difficult. I'm not gonna lie. You know, 2020 was a really hard year for me as well yeah. as you know a lot of other people. Yeah. Um. So it, yeah, I haven't really done that. Uh. Uh. Lately, no. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I. It's sort of been the people that I've talked to, it's really varied between people who are gaming more and people who are gaming less. There's actually not a ton of people who are gaming about the same. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I have so much, I don't have to, I'm working from home now. I don't have to go anywhere. I can play D&D at five o'clock, six o'clock, as soon as I'm done work, playing two or three times a week. Uh, or, you know, my friends don't want to get together virtually. They're unhappy with the idea of trying to learn a new technology. So it's sort of either or yeah now you're obviously well known uh, for your blacksmithing and fusing your blacksmithing passions for uh with gaming what sparked that initial interest in blacksmithing like how did you develop that passion when you were younger what really developed the passion for blacksmithing at all i mean you know when you're a kid you're watching uh, movies like conan the barbarian right and then you're you know you, you see it every now and then um, even like in shows like Xena and Hercules, uh, Beastmaster, even every now and then they'll wander into a town and you'll see the blacksmith off in the far, far corner. It's not, it's not really touched upon. It's just there. But in my eyes, I, I, you know, I'm looking at that guy going, well, he's the one who supplied all the equipment for that town. You know, mm-hmm. um, he's technically a really crucial part of the society. Um, you know, all those weapons that you see on screen, they were made by a craftsman at some point, yeah. you know, whether yeah, yeah. it was an actual blacksmith or a metal fabricator, or whatever, someone had all this knowledge of metalworking and they infused it into their, their work. And I thought, is that, is that a thing? Can, can that guy be a thing still currently 
in this modern age. And I mean, this, you know, when I was six, five, seven or so, I don't know, really young, uh, but it, it caught my attention. And mm-hmm. at one point, I remember going to a, uh, a farm. It was for a, a field trip for the school. And the field trip was focused on the farm animals, right? You're learning how you know yeah. everything works in the farm or whatever. But the farm had a farrier on on uh, staff, and I remember we we were all walking down the, the path, and there was a blacksmith next to a really large barn where it had a bunch of uh, horses. So obviously, you know, the guy would work the horseshoes and probably fit them there the same day or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear the tinging, you know, long ago, and I'm like, oh look, that that guy's working a thing. How how is that, I mean, he's doing it. At some point we all, you know, we're, we're again, focusing on the animals where we do that, we come back and uh, we're having lunch. And, you know, I'm eating my egg salad sandwich that my mom made me and um, with my Yoohoo. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the teacher says, you know, if you're if you're done early, you can go visit the blacksmith. Cause enough of the kids were like, oh, we wanna, we wanna look at the blacksmith, blacksmith, blacksmith. And I decided to just basically just eat that sandwich like a snake would eat a you know rat like, ah, down my throat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> downed it with the, the yoo-hoo and I made my way over. That was the first one done. I was like, no, I got to see this. So yeah. I did. And the best part about it was, you know, he saw me. He's like, oh, hey, are, are you part of the class? Yeah. They let me come over. Oh, cool. So he started to, you know, not put a little show or demonstration, but he started to kind of basically you know, uh, uh, work towards the crowd, if you will, and start to you know, yep. have a little bit of showmanship with it. And I was just in awe. I can't like, he's doing it. Look at this. This is the actual craft right here in front of me. And that was enough. That was the, the seed that got planted in my mind that I eventually began to water over the many, many years after that. Um, you know, I tried to, I learned a little bit of swordplay. I say a little bit of swordplay. I'm young. So I grabbed a stick from the backyard and, you're like, ah, you know, doing that kind of thing. But, you know, that still was in my mind. And I wanted to like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Watching videos again, watching movies and all that. Okay. Eventually, at, uh, my, my father had a machine shop growing up. So I was literally at three years old. I was helping him in the machine shop. He has videos and photos of me doing that. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> but um, I'm not doing anything special. You know, I'm, I'm filing, deburring, you know, sorting parts simple stuff but yeah, you know, yeah. I, I was still immersed in that world from long ago so with the with the machine shop um on hand i decided well i can probably go ahead and, and work you know on the lathe or the mill whatever just a few of my own toys and i did eventually i i knew that my dad didn't have um you know a forge so eventually i decided i was going to try my hand at making some kind of dagger okay at the age of 13 a wonderful game uh, called Diablo that uh, came out. Or, uh, sorry, uh, Diablo 2 came out. Okay. And I decided to, you know, can I make one of the weapons that they have? And I remember flipping through the old art book and I saw a Necromancer's Chris, the really serpentine wavy you know, dagger. Yeah. And he was holding it up. It had a skull at the end. And it was, it was iconic to me. And I go, I'm making that. I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I'm going to try to make that. Now, my, again, my father didn't have a forge. We didn't really have an anvil. I used a uh, a block of mild steel that was maybe six inches long by two inches by one inch. You know, just a okay. little small block. Yeah. I had my my grandfather's ball peen hammer, which my dad got angry about, but you know, I still tried to hide it from him. <laughs> um, and so no heat. And I I decided, well, what kind of steel do we have on hand? 
my dad didn't have proper knife steels. He had, you know, mild steels and various steels that he used for the, the jobs at hand, but mm-hmm. nothing that was going to hold an edge. But I'm like, I still want to work on it. So I grabbed a, a piece of mild steel and I began banging away. No fire. So if you can imagine, whenever you hit a piece of metal when it's uh, cold, it has a really high pitched team. Okay. Very loud, very, you know, ah, like, you know, you, people wince at it. I was doing that. I had ear protection, but still no one else in the shop did. And my father was sharing that shop with um, another gentleman who had um, his own shop. So basically they were splitting the, the rent, if you will. Right, right. My dad had one side and um, uh, Jay was his name, had the other half. Um, you know, I'm, so I began, you know, tinging away, ting, 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 ting. And, you know, Jay didn't like it. My dad didn't like it. And so I did come up with, hey, you know what? You cannot do this anymore. It's really loud. I, um, you have to figure out something but you can't do it in here. I go, well, what can I do? So I decided, you know what, I'm going to walk around the corner of the building and just work outside and just continue to hammer, you know? Yeah. But it, it wasn't the, the proper way, but at least I tried. Uh, the dagger, um, I, I still have, someone wanted to buy it for me and I, I decided no, because I wanted to have a reference point of where I started from yeah. and then where I am now, um, just so I can show off people, hey, look, this is where I came from. Your piece doesn't have to be amazing. It can be, you know, crap and look where I'm at. Yeah. But that dagger, <laughs> after I completed, I made the, you know, the skull pommel, the, it was like antler uh, handle, um, like an elk antler handle. I shaped the, uh, the guard. I sharpened it using, uh, you know, a grinder, uh, a regular bench grinder. So it's not sharp at all, but I'm like, yeah. cool, I'm ready to go. I'm going to go test it out. I go to stab a tree and I say the trees maybe. I don't know, three inches in diameter, maybe. Yeah. It's a sapling. It's it's not a big tree. And I'm like, I'm going to tear this thing apart. <laughs> yeah. I go to stab it. See, it's mild steel. So it bends in onto itself. And the dagger basically ended up pointing right back at me. <laughs> I busted open my knuckles. Like I sliced them open. I began bleeding immediately. And as I took out the, you know, the dagger, I'm like, oh crap, you know, put it on the ground and I'm bleeding. I look at the tree and the tree barely has a, two millimeter scratch on it <laughs> yeah I'm like the tree one <laughs> this is not right so uh, i i realized okay i'm not doing anything right i knew that why did i go against you know a tree but um <laughs> mother nature one here <laughs> one mother nature gill zero um so i i decided okay and my dad's like you know what you really cannot do this anymore you know even uh, outside it's still very loud you're gonna have to find some kind of avenue for it he didn't want to dissuade me from it but he's like you can't do this anymore here. It's, it's, it's right, right. Here. Yeah. Later on in college, um, I took a metal forming and techniques class. It was basically uh, dealing with silver, gold, bronze, copper, all the really soft metals, the, the malleable mm-hmm. metals. Um, not not aluminum or anything like that. And um, I learned a lot. You know, I, I worked on rings, I brooches, um, various little pieces of jewelry castable items and whatnot. And I had a lot of fun doing that. But as I walked around uh, in the back of the class, I noticed that in, in a corner underneath a bunch of stuff was a knife forge. And mm. I asked the teacher, I go, hey, I, I'm, I'm seeing something back there. Do you mind if I use that for steel? Well, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, let's get it going. Let's work on copper first. And then after I, I think that you are um, ready, you know, after you mastered the copper, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll let you have free reign over the, the steel. You still have to complete all the assignments for, for the semester, but mm-hmm. you're good. 
I said, you know what, I'll do it. And I began to work on every, literally every, uh, every semester project. I finished it early and I'm like, cool, now I can go and work on um, the, the, the Night Forge. He gave me a, um, a warning, just him to cover his butt really, but you cannot make knives. I'm like, okay. Guess what the first thing I did? <laughs> did you the make knife. a knife? Yeah. It was a letter opener, but yes, it was a knife. I I, I termed it as a letter opener, but really it was a, a short little dagger that, that, you know, um, that I could open a letter with, but right. Um, actually, it's funny. I still do. I still open a letter, uh, I open letters with it. And so it's technically a letter opener. But again, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just having fun with my steel some more, but I was now after having the metal uh, forming and techniques class, I was able to, oh, okay, I see what we're doing now. Now I begin to hold the hammer differently and right. hold the tongs differently. There's a whole you know, uh, nuance to that. Um, I began to make larger and larger blades. At some point I made a seven foot long sword. Okay. So I had a shipping tube that I used to bring it in and you know, back and forth between my truck and the class. So I wasn't, you know, I was not gonna draw any attention. Yeah. At one point, the the back um, the back of the tube, the little cap, yeah, fell off somehow, and the sword came out, dragged on the ground, made a loud noise right in the middle of the quad, unbeknownst to me, right in front of the dean's office, oh, right of in front of it. Yeah. So you know, big sparks everywhere. Only well, not, not that big, but you know, just everyone turns their head. And it's right in front of the dean. So he's like, I'm sure he tracked me. I didn't know it. You know, I'm sure he tracked me all the way back to the art class right there. Seven foot, you know, uh, seven foot sword out in the open. I, you know, try to quickly put it back in there. And then um, after explaining to my instructor um, that I was, you know, doing this, he's like, oh, where did it happen? Oh, in the quad. Okay, well, I'm probably going to get a call from the dean or, you know, a visit from the dean. Sure <laughs> enough, after I left that class, he did come over and say, hey, uh, I tracked the guy here. Uh, what's he doing? Long story short, my instructor said, hey, you cannot do that in here anymore because I will get in trouble. Like, you know what? I don't want you to get in trouble. That's fine. It sucks, mm -hmm. but, you know, what am I going to do? And he said, I know of a master blacksmith down in Laguna Beach. He doesn't want to accept apprentices, but if you ask him, repeatedly <laughs> you can probably get and not nicely just repeatedly um you can probably get you know uh past his uh firewall and and, and get in on uh on that right so I said, you know what fine H hook me up with him i'll do it it's kind of weird but you know I'll, this is a rare opportunity um at the time i did not know that apprentices apprenticeships were very difficult to come by and so i was very lucky and even now they're incredibly difficult to come by i don't want an apprentice i can't well i can't really afford one um, but it, I, it, they're just really hard to, to deal with because you have your own schedule that you have to kind of work around mm -hmm. and they have to work around that, which is almost, you know, a, a, it's really a, a no-go kind of thing. But anyway, um, I digress. I learned for three years from him and he was up again, a master bladesman. So I was like, oh, that's how you do that. And that's how you do that. And it was wonderful to learn from him. But um, he um, he had bipolar disorder, right? And it it was hard to ride that roller coaster up and down. And eventually, the three year relationship uh, turned, and, and he what ultimately ended it was he moved to Hawaii. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, 
better for him. I, I still I contact him very seldomly, but I do. It's not that we're not on good terms. It's just that, you know, he's just, um, he had his, his own uh, issues he had to deal with. And I, you know yeah. what, you need your time. That's fine. You know, I'll mm -hmm. let you do that, of course. <clears throat> so after that, though, I had a one-year hiatus where I did nothing. I go, I, and I had to, I literally took my hammer that I eventually bought for myself. And I just had to like hit some things with it. <laughs> okay. There was an old stump in the back of, in the backyard that I had. And I just kept hitting that. And my wife looked at me and was like, why are you doing that? I'm like, I can't help it. I need something to hit. And I don't have the means to do that. So go look for something. There's got to be something out there. And I go, you know, and, and again, in my defense, no, there's nothing out there. I already looked, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. There's literally nothing, you know. Eventually I found a museum, a living history museum. And they had um, a blacksmith shop in the very, very back that was part of the whole, you know, colonial era um, uh, reenactment type of uh, thing. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'll go there. I'll, how much is it? And it was, you know, uh, $60 to start, uh, $15 at the time. Actually, it was $12 at the time to um, for a day. And okay. you could work as long as you wanted until basically, you know, right around two to three o'clock, um, which is more than enough time. Everyone usually gets hired right around that time anyway. Right. And it was wonderful. Everyone was welcoming. They said, okay, well, normally you have to have um, passed the class in order to do this on your own. I go, okay, that's fine. And I showed them a, a few of my works. And like, oh, well, hold on, you do this now? Yeah, this is what I do. The, the guy in charge like, no, you don't need to take any of the classes. You're already there. I told him, well, yeah, I had an apprenticeship and I learned a lot. And, oh, okay, cool. That's why. Great. Um, hey, actually, we need teachers. Are you, you, would you consider yourself, <laughs> yeah. you know, teaching? I'm like, well, I don't think I'm there yet. You know, I was really, you know, unsure of myself. And I'm, I'm still technically very unsure of myself. Um, as most artists are, as most people are, right? In general, like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, you know, um, and no exception there. And I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work up to that point. And I, again, I made more brooches and this and that, whatever. Um, eventually um, getting to the point where they wanted me to teach, like, okay, well, you're good now. We'll, we want you to teach. You know how to do things. You already help the people around you. Why don't you just teach? And I go, oh, fine, I'll do it. This is right around the time when I decided to like, well, I, again, I heard that and I go, maybe I can make videos for people. You know, YouTube was just kind of getting going. And I, I decided to, at, at the time, uh, Felicia Day, who I think most everyone knows, I don't have to really explain that, but um, yeah. for those that know, she's kind of like the, as, as they say, the queen of the, the geeks. She yeah. made, she produced and starred in her own web series back when the internet was, in, I mean, sorry, when, the YouTube um, channels were very young yeah. and it was wildly popular, you know, millions and millions of views. And that was what really ultimately started the whole web series craze and it blew it, you know, off the charts, et cetera. At one point she did, she created the channel or sorry. Yeah. The channel uh, Geek and Sundry, uh, her company Geek and Sundry and then um, her eventual channel where she asked people, everyone, fans and whatnot to, make their own uh, video logs, become a vlogger. And I go, you right. know, can I do that? Is that a thing I can do? You know, and again, hearing the whole, maybe you can help people with your, your skills and knowledge. I go, you know what, fine, I'll do it. So I created a few videos. I sent in my, my uh, audition tape to that channel and I made it to the very end. I made it to like, you know, they had uh, basically, you know, it was uh, 3,000, 
yeah, 3,000 initial, I think, or something like that. A really large number. They eventually brought it down to 300. Okay. And it went to 30. And then they only wanted 10 from that. And where I li- where I ranked on the scale was literally number 11. No, come on. <laughs> and I lost to a walrus puppet, but oh, man, no hard that's feelings. That's brutal. Uh, it's okay, though. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I get, you know, why, why it happened the way it did. Yeah. Um, honestly, no hard feelings. But it, it got me to the point where, like, well, do I stop now or do I continue? Like, you know, people enjoy this. I had enough uh, 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 subscribers on the channel and viewers that I'm like, well, I'll just continue it, you know? So, I, you know, I started uh, slow. I had, you know, a fork, a little letter opener, and this and that, whatever. Um, I think I had a, oh, um, a door knocker. At some point, I, um, someone challenged me. So I, I had in the comment section, I allowed people to go, hey, uh, if you have an idea for me to, to work on, to forge, shoot it down in the comments. Yeah. One of the first ones that came up was a D20. And I go, okay, um, that's a hard geometric shape. I don't think that's possible. I really don't think um, I can even, you know, math that out. Yeah. And I, I, I decided, well, fine, you know what? I'll, I'll work on it. I'll see if it's possible. If after like two months, I can't really work on it, then I'll drop it and I'll you know, just go on to make other stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it took about two months, and you know, I had the whole, just like literally, like you see in in, in uh, cartoons and films where they write a bunch of stuff out on pieces of paper, scribbles and whatnot. Like, ah, no, they trash it, throw it away. That's kind of how my my room looked at the time. You know, it was, like, <laughs> it was just a bunch of math equations floating around in my head, and literally on the walls and on the ground. And uh, eventually, it worked out to where I I went with volume, the volume of an icosahedron. Okay. Versus, if you equal that to the volume of a sphere of the same size, is that how you work that out? And um, it, yep, yeah, I, I cross canceled, did my math, got to the point where I found um, the vertices, basically the point from one um, one vertice to the other. That value is the key. That's the value that I needed to find all the points, all the vertices on the the dice. On right. the, sorry, the, um, the the sphere where I can then puncture holes put it in the forge, take it out and still see the little punctures so I can align the flats and hit those and, you know, go back and forth and all that. That was Got the it. only way. The only way. And then, I mean, then uh, I, I would say the rest is history, but really it, it didn't uh, do anything for three years. I had it there on my channel, did nothing. I, you know, continued making other stuff. Three years later on, on my birthday, funny enough, it went viral. The video started to go viral. I, uh, I was on set, which was wonderful. I was, you know, I had to keep my phone off, but I had it on vibrate still. Well, the vibrate was enough. Like, what the hell's going on, right? And the, the sound guy with his boom mic is like, dude, I can I can hear you. You might want to, you know, shut it off completely. So I'm like, oh, fine. So I take it out and I'm like, oh my God, there's a lot of notifications. I, I wanted to make sure that no one was dead. I'm like, okay, fine, I'm good. Shut it off my phone on my backpack in, in the far corner there and yeah. continue to work on set at the end of the day i go back and i'm like there is a cumulative total of eight thousand notifications on my phone <laughs> oh my God, what yeah. happened and you know after sifting through a little bit i'm like okay it's my video but why and you know, looking through i don't know why so i still don't know why to this day why it suddenly just went and ramped up yeah um in popularity but it did and then I got uh, news articles uh, written about me that almost like literally 
either that day or the day after or the weeks after it just you know one after the other you know it was uh laughing squid and it was a cnet and it was you know all these different tour.com yeah sundry blah 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 and it just started to cascade down and i i still have like the master list of like all the uh, the 30 some odd publications that um that did a piece on me um and it was it was bizarre um i didn't know what to think of it at the time i go okay cool that's cool what does that mean for people that get viral what you know I looked at other people that went viral because of you know like the the overly attached girlfriend right she yeah. made a whole video series on that i'm like well do i do that that's kind of hard to really make a whole video series on the dice right but then i'm like well people really want them maybe you can go into business making them right and i thought well okay is this something that i truly want to pursue because it took a long time it took 12 hours to make the one mm -hmm. um eventually i got it down to eight hours at that point, I realized, okay, well, this is still a very hard thing to do. I have to figure something out if I want to really meet all the demands. Um, and so, you know, that's that, the now again, the rest is history. Where I, you know, had a Kickstarter and it helped fund the shop. A lot of problems later, I'm still kind of working at it. I'm still kind of chipping away at it. Yeah. Um, I'm not happy about how the things kind of played out. I really am not. In retrospect, I wouldn't have done them the way I did. Okay. I would have gone back and I would have changed a lot of stuff hmm. and you know everything you know hindsight's 2020 and all that but um there's a lot of stuff that i wish i could, I, I would have already be done had it not been for the press alone that oh really that whole thing yes the hydraulic press was the worst um i hope he doesn't see it i hope the guy who, who made the press doesn't see it but it was one of the worst purchases of my life oh wow because i had put a lot of stock into it i was contacting the guy and he promised me he was going to be delivered at this date and then, you know, it was going to be ready by this and whatever. And eventually, you know, a, a year and a half later, he's like, I finally got it to you. I have it. Okay. So how much is it? <laughs> this much? I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's a lot higher than we talked about. But okay, fine. You know, I, I somewhat budgeted this uh, for that. But, and then the hydraulic press didn't work. It wasn't wired properly. The dies were incorrect. And like, and then they had a leak and the, the motor almost burnt out. And I'm like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. And these are unforeseen things that I, I, I wish I had, I bought a better uh, press. It wouldn't have had that happen. Right. This is, it was a prototype, you know, this was literally number first, his very first press. Right. And I, that should have been enough of a red flag for me to not go that, down the, that direction. I should have gone and purchased like a big blue, like they have on, you know, forged and fire. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, uh, it's a lot better now. Uh, like you know today it's a lot better the, the the outcome looks a lot better i've been chipping away at the orders now and it's like okay cool i can finally like get back on track the press is not a hundred percent but at least it's somewhere there okay and now i just basically have to acquire materials to work at it i can i can deal with where it's at it's not a hundred percent but i can deal with where it's at it's doing a lot better than where i have i was you know three years ago so so did you did the Kickstarter uh, give you the opportunity to blacksmith full time or are you still yes. serving as an engineer? Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm no longer an engineer. I'm no, no longer a mechanical engineer, uh, which is great because uh, that industry kind of sucks, to be honest. I know people will say, no, I, I had a good time, whatever. That, that's rare. I mean, honestly, it does happen. But no, I don't I don't do that anymore. And I am completely full time a blacksmith. I now great. teach blacksmithing at a, um, oh, okay. at a metal shop, at a, sorry, at a, a makerspace down in Costa Mesa, but um, it's called Urban Workshop. And it's, I, I think it's great. I wish I had that growing up. They have literally anything you can possibly 
want to work there at you know like if you wanted to 3d print stuff they have it you wanted to work on your car they have i think the the largest public um uh car lift space there um huh. they have a tire changer as well um and i've seen people you know literally <clears throat> take engines out of their vehicles work on them stick them back in and by the end of the day they're out you know um a wood shop they have an assembly area they have a um sheet metal forming area obviously a blacksmith yeah welding area um leather area they have a sewing electronics plastic injection molding laser printer uh laser marker sorry uh, vacuum forming blah blah, blah. they have a lot yeah, of stuff yeah. which is great um but now so i'm teaching there uh, they they wanted me i don't need to be there but they wanted me and i decided you know what i got a lot of knowledge in this dome i need to you know share it and uh I'm, that's what i think a lot of people have been saying about it, is that this is wonderful because you know i watch videos on youtube and they don't show you the the tribal knowledge that comes from being a blacksmith right there's a lot of like you know, as you start working they go oh that's what they meant you know and if i just someone told me that right off the bat i would be you know two years earlier than where i was now right okay so i i, I took the job and i decided you know i'll, I'll help people in that fashion i'll share with them all the little nuances that go along with blacksmithing, how to hold the hammer. It's literally as something as small as that. If you don't hold the hammer correctly, there's a lot of problems down the line, including hurting yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we put a mature, uh, mature language warning at the beginning of this video. The first one I've had to do. <laughs> um, so don't fuck me, Gil has become a bit of a rallying cry amongst those who use your dice, including a number of celebrities. And I know mm -hmm. that your first celebrity die uh, went to the aforementioned Felicia day, but since you didn't get the vlogging role on geek and sundry, you're number 11. How did you get that die to her? And then to all the other people who sort of allowed your your work to get out there? That's a good, great question. So um, um, I, I knew a few people in the Geek and Sundry uh, world prior to, no, no, sorry, um, not prior to that, as that happened, right? Mm -hmm. I got to, um, a lot of the vloggers themselves began to band together and, and form uh, really tight friendships. Um, we, uh, as the ones below the 10 that made it in ended up being the Ronin vloggers. We were the ones that didn't get in. So we had to come up with, with a name for ourselves and we decided on the Ronin vloggers. And, you know, a few of us still tried to vlog after that. And I did too. Mm -hmm. um, a good, my good friends, um, Elias Thompson and uh, trainer Jody and whatnot. They all, we all tried to do a few uh, videos and um, I don't think they, uh, I, I think as of right now, I don't believe any of them are vlogging anymore. I don't think, yeah, including myself. But we again, we formed uh, friendships and whatnot. And eventually, yeah. uh, my my friend circles began to involve people that worked at uh, Geek and Sundry. And eventually, I formed a friendship with uh, Felicia Day. And so when I did that dice, it was right around the time when I well, I can give it to people. And I said, well, she's cool. She's the one who got me into this. Let me give it to her. So uh, at one of the uh, um, the tabletop day, yeah, tabletop yep. day events. Um, I had I gave her the and I say the big one. It's it's huge. It's about two inches in diameter. It's a massive <laughs> rock. Yeah. Um, she has since a, a smaller one from me, a normal sized one, with a uh, blue coloring on it, bluing. Um, so I don't I don't believe she rolls the large one at all, but I know that she has a small one in her little collection. Um, anyway, 
um, yeah, the big one. I said, you know, I I made this. She's like, what the hell? And um, she reckoned she knew me. She knew my name. And I go, oh, that's awesome. I didn't think that I would be, you know, um, any kind of, I made any kind of impact. She's like, no, we were literally looking at your your stuff because we wanted to have you on the, the channel, but we had to like, you know, we had to cut it off, unfortunately. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. I get it, you know. But um, but uh, yeah, and eventually, you know, I I became friends with a lot of people over there, and uh, including her and um, Zach from um, who now runs Hyper RPG, um, and that's what got me on the show for um critical role in some cases i was like literally in the, in the background in two or three of the episodes i forget how many but i was basically um uh it was a crit uh, was christmas one of the first christmases you can be seen i can be seen in the back giving um people um some stuff and whatnot and it was it was fun yeah but yeah, that the, my first uh one that i gave away was to felicia the second one was actually another buddy of mine jimmy and um he plays Magic the Gathering. He loves uh, Magic the Gathering. Cool. I didn't make him a spin down die, which I was I should have, but um, because of the Magic the Gathering, you know, I should have been yeah, that, yeah. like that. But I didn't think to it, so I, I just you know, and it was a poor engraving too. I literally used a Dremel to to uh, <laughs> write the numbers in rather than using a stamp. Yeah. But now I use stamps. So, what was your reaction to "Don't Fuck Me, Gil" the first time you heard it? The first time I heard it was actually off air. Okay. The first time I heard Don't Fuck Me Gill was off air. And it was um, at, you know, the Geek and Sundry Studios. At, and um, it was right after my video went viral. Um, and I decided, I, I was already friends with the, the cast at the time. Yeah. And I decided um, if I could make a bunch of these, would I, you know, could I give them to my friends and all that? I go, yeah, sure, let's try it. So I made like a several, right? I gave away a few to my, you know, close friends, et cetera. I, used, I have one for myself which I lost, unfortunately, but um, I, I began to give a few away and I thought, well, these people can, these, you know, uh, these, uh, um, the cast members of Critical Role, I think they could really enjoy to have this little, you know, heavy metal uh, D20. Yeah. I was like, fine, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll come over there. I came in, I grabbed a bunch. Um, I think Will Wheaton was there at the time. I handed him one. I handed him a D20 with all ones on it though. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. He, he happened to be walking by and I'm like, I've been waiting for you. And I handed him the, the one D20. He's like, yeah, that's, that's my die. That's pretty much me. Like I might as well just roll this, you know, why roll anything else? Um, oh, I did. Did I, I may have given him the, I may have put a, a 20 on there. I think I did just one 20 <laughs> and 19 ones, 19 ones. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> just to make it fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, I had, uh, I brought in, you know, um, um, you know, nine dice for, for the cast and whatnot. And I said, you know, pick yours. And so people started to roll them, right? Uh, Matt grabbed his initially, Talisman grabbed his, you know, and they started, you know, parting them out. And Marshall like, oh, I see, you know, he, she sees shiny. She ran over, like, okay, hold on. Um, and then now there was, I think it was like five left. And she starts to roll them. She's like, okay, no, no, no. Okay, I'm going to roll this one. And she looks at me, she's like, you better not fuck me on this skill. And she rolls it. <laughs> It was 17. It's like, I'm taking this one. I'm like, cool. And that was the first time that was, was told. Um, it happened to be that I, I was in the studio uh, three episodes uh, in a row after that. Yeah. So next week I was there. I was hanging out with uh, Talison. We were chatting on some stuff. And eventually 
uh, she comes back and, uh, you know, we're, we're all, they, they eventually move in, what do you call it? They, um, they make their way into the studio. And at some point, right before the, the game, she's like, she grabs, you know, she has her D20 in her hand, Marisha, and she goes to me again, like, don't fuck me, Gil. And she goes, in, you know, heads back in the studio. Uh, like two episodes later, so you know that happens, you know, uh, yeah. each time. Two episodes later, I'm sitting on the um, the guest couch in the studio, and she she sees me. She through the 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 cracks in the the backdrop and the the cameras and whatnot. She literally just like right, you know, <laughs> she just has her yeah. eye. She sees me. She goes. She looks at me, and then she calls it out. And that was the first time it ever got called out on air okay um and and i think liam shortly thereafter also uh did the same thing so i, I think it, it, even currently right now it's debated who was first but it was it was marisha i think <laughs> but yeah. how how often do people tag you in don't fuck me gill social media posts uh, it's interesting um when it first started happening it was almost every day um and, and on thursdays it was several times a day yeah. Uh, now it's 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 gone down um, to about maybe mm, once every two weeks or so. Okay. And, except except on when they they do uh, call it out um, on on the show. Like for instance, uh, this past Thursday from when oh, was it this? No. Yeah, this past Thursday from when this uh, episode is being recorded, they uh, Marisha rolled it um, um, for I forget what kind of check it was for. But she rolled it and she got a natural twenty. She's like, "Hey, you know, welcome back," kind of thing. And that yeah. was really cool. Immediately, um, I, it was, I couldn't watch it live. And on my on my phone, I started feeling, you know, I get the vibration. I'm like, "Okay, what happened now?" Right? <laughs> um, yeah. I go to see it. I'm like, "Okay, cool. It's, oh, it looks like Marisha rolled uh, my, my dice. That's interesting. That's cool." And so yeah, then you know, a lot of tags happened um, that day. But it, it varies. You know, sometimes I'll have people um, out of nowhere for no reason. Not even D and D related, not dice related at all, not even me related. <laughs> They'll go ahead and you know invoke my name and tag me, going, "Hey, <laughs> the the funniest one was, hey dude, I invoked you know don't fuck me, Gil, uh, on my way back from carrying uh, a bunch of groceries <laughs> to my car, and they all spilled." <laughs> and I'm like, I have nothing to do with that. What are you talking about? You I didn't make the bags. Fun. I didn't pack the groceries. Yeah, like I did I none of this. Nothing none to do with it. Not even D and D related. Come on, I've had th this one guy um, tag me at like a Dave and Buster's uh, game that was D and D, and okay. he you know, said, "You know, don't fuck me, Gil." Right before he started playing it, I don't think he won anything. Which you know, again, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm just like, what, what are people tagging me for? I, I save them on my phone just just like to to look through every now and then, just as like, a, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, a little chuckle. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Gil, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this. It's always fun to talk about origin stories. <laughs> That's the best. It's the best. It's the best thing to talk about. <laughs> well, that's the end of our show. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm your host, Gary. Don't forget. February 28th, we're hosting episode zero of Quest for the Cure on the Team Squad Up Twitch channel. The game starts at noon Pacific time, 3 Eastern time, and goes until about 3 Pacific time or 6 Eastern time. Wishing you all the best, and remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count.